Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau outlines his government's priorities on vaccination. First off, we're going to ensure uh, that the federal public service is vaccinated. There is a clean, clear requirement of vaccination for anyone who works for the federal government. Uh, second, we're going to make sure in the coming weeks uh, that anyone uh, 12 or over, older who wants to get on a plane or a train be fully vaccinated. What comes next after a war of words between Canada and China at the UN General Assembly? There is a reason respect for human rights is one of the three pillars of the United Nations. Canada will never forget this experience and this lesson. We shall continue to press for an end to arbitrary detention wherever and however it occurs. And Alberta bans demonstrations outside hospitals. All Canadians have the right to protest peacefully. But using our hospitals as a venue to attack vaccines and reasonable public health measures only adds more stress to our already overburdened frontline workers. It's Wednesday, September 29th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. Let's start by talking about what could happen next with the return of Parliament, the swearing in of a cabinet, the major decisions that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has to make now after last week's election. Uh, the Prime Minister alluded yesterday to, to the swearing in of a new cabinet next month. Uh, next month, of course, which begins on Friday. It's all, almost October already. Uh, he did say, though, that Christia Freeland is is going to remain as finance minister. So that's not up in the air. I thought that was noteworthy. Uh, what do you think is behind that and the thought process behind the, the timing of uh, the possible return of parliament? Right. Well, I mean, I don't see any reason why there would be a delay uh, appointing a cabinet or returning parliament to uh, to work because, uh, after all, uh, we're in al- almost exactly the same political situation as we were before the election. And uh, there isn't a giant new gene pool for uh, Trudeau to make selections for his cabinet. And I think it was significant, I agree, it was significant that he uh, made a point of assuring, reassuring the market and probably his party and the supporters of the Liberals uh, in the last election to say that Christia Freeland would continue as finance minister and also as the deputy prime minister. Um, you know, I think uh, she is the more steady hand on the tiller uh, that most people perceive really in opposition to Trudeau himself, who is gaff-prone, as we've seen, and and is liable to say and do things that are uh, not helpful to his own cause from time to time. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a reassuring sign uh, uh, that Freeland is going to play that major role. And, uh, you know, we have to keep the economy going. and I, you know, the ministers are mostly all still speaking in their roles. Uh, we've seen everybody. I saw Patty Haidu talking about vaccines yesterday, and uh, and other ministers, uh, you know, have been appearing uh, as well. So uh, it's more of the same uh, in the future, I think. Yeah, and 
What about the timing of the return of Parliament? Because um, he said it would it would happen by the end of the fall. The end of the fall is right before Christmas, uh, technically speaking. Um, I know it, it doesn't always feel that way in Canada. It sometimes feels like winter's arrived sooner than that. But uh, I think a lot of people expected there would be more of a sense of urgency around the resumption of Parliament because of things like the, the Liberals' proposal on mandatory vaccination that... that those kinds of things would need to be dealt with more urgently. I'm sure that they have every lawyer uh, on staff studying what they can do without necessarily summoning Parliament to approve or or dispute it or debate it. Um, You know, uh, they did a lot of stuff at the start of the pandemic, Mark, uh, that were extra parliamentary uh, moves. I'm not 100% sure which parts have to be approved by parliament and which don't i mean that's a legal matter but i mean if if say if the government is going to go get a a vaccine mandate which is one of the things they say they want to do and they're going to force public servants travelers you know to to have these vaccine passports well some of that stuff is just routine matters. They got, they are negotiating right now, apparently, with the public sector unions. Um, I'm sure they're talking to the airlines and other travel uh, organizations and finding out where exactly they can take that major step without necessarily bringing in, you know, the Canadian Vaccine Mandate Enabling Act or whatever they're going to call it. Um you know, there's uh, a lot of other stuff they could do outside of the parliamentary uh, sort of purview. And you know what, I, Mark, I personally think that you'll hear the opposition party saying, oh, there's no parliament, therefore there's no government. But in fact, they've got a lot of things to sort out themselves after the election. And um, they probably are well, are quite happy to spend some time working on those things rather than uh, flying back and forth to Ottawa to debate issues that are uh, kind of already fairly well understood in the public. Yeah. All right, let's turn to Canada's relationship with China. Over the last couple of days since Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig returned to this country, uh, there's been some back and forth at the United Nations General Assembly. Um, Where do you think that relationship stands now, and and what are the lasting lessons from uh, the events of of Spavor and Kovrig's detention and release? Well, the lasting lesson, obviously, is that the Chinese cannot be trusted as a diplomatic uh, partner. Uh, you know, there, it's one thing to, uh, you know, trade uh, car parts and, uh, you know, microchips back and forth, uh, it's quite another to have uh, mature relationships with with other countries, and uh, you know Canada has relationships uh, around the world with countries of many different ideological uh, uh, bent. Uh, but at the same time, there has to be some level of trust and reliability between the two sides, um, and that the you know this level of trust that the Chinese have totally undermined in terms of Canada, and I, I hope, and I think a lot of Canadians do, I hope the Canadian Foreign Ministry and and our and the government proceed extremely carefully uh, in rebuilding ties with China. Um, you know, I don't know how bad we need them economically. I think this last couple of years has uh, 
has served to undermine that idea that the Chinese like everyone to think that, you know, we need them more than they need us. And uh, but I think the, the whole world uh, diplomatically has seen what the Chinese are capable of. And I think there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, uh, skepticism about their intentions and their behavior. So, you know, I, I don't think there's any great rush to repair things with China. And I think the Canadian public wants uh, the government to take a firm line with them, you know, going forward until there's some sign that they've changed their ways. Hmm. All right, let's touch on the situation in Alberta, Dan. Um, uh, Jason Kenney is facing a political crisis. Uh, the The case numbers uh, are still of, of great concern in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, and, and yesterday, Kenney introduced legislation to stop demonstrations outside hospitals. Um, there, there has been talk of this in other parts of the country as well, and it came up during the federal election campaign, obviously. Um, uh, what do you think about the situation there, how Kenny is handling it, and and how things are, are likely to play out in the days and weeks ahead, both politically and from a public health perspective? Hmm. Well, um, you know, obviously there are two, those are two very major elements. I did find it interesting that uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau really went out of his way to offer help of whatever kind he can, you know, federal supports for businesses, uh, you know, help in, in case there is a further lockdown in Alberta, help for individuals, um, you know, so that was an important signal, I think, uh, to the people of Alberta, not to necessarily to the government, uh, which is as determined as ever to continue its absolutely reckless and ineffective path. I mean, there are 20,000 active cases in Alberta. You know, Alberta is 10% of the population and half of the new cases uh, across the country. It, it's just really, really not uh, uh, a model of good government or good management of this pandemic. And, uh, you know, people in Alberta are paying the price. Uh, you know, I, I think you're seeing, you know, in the news every day that there's unrest, um, even within Kenny's own party out there. There is uh, this whole thing has helped to flare up Alberta separatism yet again. Uh, you know, so I just I'm boggled, Mark. Uh, I've said it before. I, I've been covering, you know, news for a long, long time. And I can't remember any Canadian government mishandling a public health emergency in such a drastic and dramatic way. So, you know, uh, Alberta is not an example to the rest of the country, neither is Saskatchewan. Um, and I think at this time, uh, people have got to say to themselves, is, is this guy really got a grip on, on running things at Alberta or not? And, uh, you know, that's that's got to be a pretty grim uh, assessment when it comes to Jason Kenney. Mm. All right. Dan, great stuff. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. I think it is very clear from the debates during this election and from uh, the mandate given by Canadians that uh, we get to move even stronger, even faster on the big things that Canadians uh, really want. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues, with the two Michaels now home, Canada can take a tougher approach with China. She writes, Half of the things Canada produces contain at least something from China. That's a fact. But that fact doesn't mean we need to keep our mouths shut. 
Canadians were at once overjoyed to see Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor return home and appalled at how craven China was in pursuing its self-interests. No one wants Canadians to pay that price again, and it would be understandable if a fed-up public wanted the federal government to stop tiptoeing around China and take a harder line. In the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne asks if Canada will be firmer with China now that the two Michaels are free. Coyne writes, If China's latest adventure in hostage diplomacy has proved such a spectacular success, why is it assumed much will change after this, either in China's approach or our own? If we were unwilling to stand up to China for as long as the two Michaels were imprisoned, why would we be any more willing to do so while the others remain? In the National Post, Tasha Carradin argues the Liberals must demand a probe into any election meddling by China. Carradin writes, There is growing evidence that for some voters, foreign interference played a role in this election, and that interference had a direct impact on votes, seat count, and the shape of the 44th Parliament. The only way to truly get to the bottom of what happened is a full investigation. The question is whether the new Liberal government will have the political courage to demand one. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference today in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, September 29th. Tune into Primetime Politics every weeknight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns on Friday morning after the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Have a great day.